0: We've been talking about how God shapes people who follow him. So as we come to Christ, you need to know this: that God loves you just the way that you are. He loves you just the way that you are. You, you, you don't have to perform for him. Maybe you grew up in a home where you felt like you had to perform for your parents' love. You don't have to do that with God. God loves you just the way you are. But he doesn't want to leave you that way. And so I want to talk today about how do we grow <coughs> Spiritually, so that's been the idea of this series. But this today we're going to wrap it up with one specific idea. Um, but the the, the the key passage of this series that we've been kind of looking at, we've been kind of coming back to every every uh, week has been Romans twelve verse two, and that's do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so this world has a pattern, it has a way of thinking, it has a mold, it has a, a, a way that it's trying to shape us, but we need to know that that's happening to us. We need to be aware of the things, whether it's you know how the, the people that we work with or that we go to school with or our culture or our boss or the things that we see on TV or the internet or social media constantly trying to shape us, but God has a way that he wants to transform us that's different than the pattern that this world has for us. Whether we talk about how we view morality or politics or sexuality or how we view other people, this world has this pattern, but we need to be aware that the Bible many times teaches us something very different. And so what I want to talk today is the last thing that Jesus commanded us, the last thing that he told us to do. Liz and I, we, we like sharing videos with each other. Like, if you looked at mine and Liz's text thread with each other, it's basically we're sending TikTok videos to each other and we're asking each other, Do you want Chick fil A? Like, that's our text thread. Like, any any moment, like, that's what it looks like. And so, a couple of days ago, I sent her this video. And all you can hear in the video is, is when the video opens, this guy is sitting on his couch, middle aged man. He's got a video game headset on. He's got his, uh, <laughs> he's got his, uh, uh, controller in his hand, watching TV, doing his thing. And all of a sudden, from across the house, you hear the mom yelling, You kids better clean up your room. I'm tired of coming in there and telling you to clean up your room. You know? And all of a sudden, the dude pops up takes the headset off, throws it under the couch cushion, throws the controller under the couch cushion, and starts folding the blanket in the middle of the living room. And then the mom is in, and I'm tired of telling these kids to have to get up and start doing stuff, you know, like that. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, 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 totally. You know, but th- 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 there's this idea of, like, you're supposed to be doing something. A few weeks ago, we bought some, um, we bought some uh, uh, furniture, or these beds with drawers in them from Ikea for, for my two little ones, my two youngest daughters we bought some furniture. And I don't think anybody ever bought furniture for no my you know what this is like? All right, so it, it's, it, if you don't know, IKEA furniture is, is disassembled and it's flat packed, meaning that like all the boards are just stacked in the box and it comes out. And because it's a Swedish company, they don't bother writing instructions. No, they just throw you pictures and you follow the pictures. Here's the thing, with these beds that we had, it was 72 pages of pictures. It took me two hours per bed to do it. And the thing is, is you have to follow the instructions to a T. Has anybody ever done this? Is this just me? It's like a particular type of punishment for you, you know? So if you're like, man, I just really feel bad about myself and I need to like get on to me for doing something, just go buy a piece of furniture for Ikea. Like you'll be good, like you'll feel better at the end of it. So here's the thing, if you do it wrong, I've got a picture of what it looks like if you do Ikea wrong, uh, like that could happen to you. (laughs) And it just, and that's just a chair. We did this whole entire bed, and it was just ended up being. Uh, we we worked. I was obedient to the things that it told me to do. And here's the thing about God. So many of us we go through life and we're worried about. Am I going to miss God's will? Have you ever thought about that before? Like, I'm going to miss, like, what? God's going to tell me to do something, and somehow I'm going to miss it. Like, I'm going to marry the wrong person, or I'm going to do the wrong job, or I'm going to pick the wrong career, or I'm going to go to the wrong college. You know, especially young people, they think about this. Like, man, I don't want to miss God's will for my life. And so what the idea behind that is, is that the 72nd page of the IKEA instructions, like, I want to make sure I get there. And I don't want to miss that. I don't want to miss the end. I don't want to miss how this is supposed to be. I don't want to miss how it's supposed to end up like. But here's the thing when we're talking about obedience to God. The Bible talks about how the steps of the righteous in Psalms are ordered by the Lord. The steps. And so we have to be more concerned about being obedient to the last thing God told us instead of worrying about getting to the the end of the journey that he wants us to get in. So as long as you're obedient to the previous step, you're going to end up where God wants you to be. You see how that works? So if if I'm looking at this 72-page IKEA instruction thing, if I'm obedient to page one, that'll lead me to where I need to be to page two. I'm going to be on page two. That'll lead me to be on page three, all the way until I finish the thing on page seventy-two. Do you see how that works? So many of us are concerned about how do I get to page seventy-two. Just be obedient to the last thing that God told you to do. Just be obedient to the last thing that God told you. To do. So what did Jesus tell his followers to do? What was the what was the last thing that Jesus told his followers to do? And then when we read this, we have to ask ourselves. Am I being obedient to that? Am I doing the last thing that He told me? I want to end up in heaven. I want to end up in His presence. I want to end up being with Him in eternity and worshiping Him for eternity. I, that's where I want to be. I want that's my page seventy-two. I want to end up there. But what is the last thing that He instructed His followers to do? We find this in Matthew chapter twenty-eight, verse nineteen and twenty. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the last thing that Jesus instructed his disciples to do. But he's Go make other disciples. Go duplicate yourselves. Your disciples of me, your followers of me, go find more people that can be followers of me and disciples of me. Go and do that. And he says that he will be with us always, even to the end of the age. Studies show that the longer a person attends church, so if you've been in church for your whole life, or maybe you've been in church for two years, maybe you've been in church for two months. Whatever it is, the longer a person attends church, the fewer discussions that they have about evangelism, about how to engage other people in matters of faith, the fewer discussions they have with friends and family members and coworkers, fewer presentations they make of the life-changing plan of salvation They they, they, they just do fewer times, and they invite fewer people to events that are attractive where the message of Christ is offered, mostly because Christ followers have fewer friends outside the faith to whom they can offer this to. And so this idea of the longer that we're saved, the longer that we're Christians, the longer that we follow Christ, the longer that we do this... that that, that we have fewer opportunities to actually reach out and actually talk to people about the gospel. Like, this is just a thing. This is something that we need to be made aware of. But if the last thing that Jesus told us is to go and make disciples, then that needs to be on the front of our mind. We have to be obedient to the last thing that he told us to do. We all have a responsibility of sharing our faith. In 1 Peter 3, verse 15, uh, first Peter uh, Peter says this but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord so this idea many of us would like to worship we'd like to to, to, to to sing songs about God we like to be in his presence we like to pray and that's a good thing and then he says he continues always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have but do this with gentleness and respect. And so what he's saying is, is that we can't just go in this hole to where we're just kind of in this Christian bubble and we never go outside of it we never talk to people we never witness, we never share our faith we never talk about the goodness of God. We can't just go in this bubble where we just close off from the world and we build a compound and we never go outside of it. We can't do that. We have to stay engaged. We have to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. But we have to do this with gentleness and respect. Sometimes you may come across someone who believes differently than you. Sometimes you may come across someone who has, I read a bumper sticker the other day, and like every theological red flag in my head of like, man, this person is crazy, like that, it went off in my head. Because I'm like, dude, that person's lost, you know? But still, when I share my faith with them, when I share the gospel with them, I can't do it from this mindset of, I know more than you. Like who would believe that? That's great. It's crazy. You can't do that. And so instead, you have to do it with gentleness and respect. With gentleness and respect. For some of us, our only contact with the non-Christian people comes through whenever we uh, comes through people that we talk we never really talk to in real life. It's like a random coworker or high school acquaintance or a fourth cousin twice removed on Facebook like that's the only time that we we talk to people that aren't Christian but that's not the, the, the command of Jesus that we engage this world and we create or we help make disciples of all nations the command to go that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 28 19 and 20 is twofold go and make disciples Jesus says many of us have a hard time doing the make disciples part because we don't understand the basic go part. So he says, go, therefore, and make disciples. And we're like, well, how do I make disciples? I'm not really sure about how to do this because we don't really understand what he means when he says, go. Go, when we look at this this passage of scripture, when we look at this message, when we look at this command, this command of go has both been overemphasized and underemphasized in the church today. It's definitely an active command. Therefore, we are called to go out and engage the world with the gospel. We're supposed to go out. We're supposed to engage the world with the gospel. Years ago, you had to know how to do several things uh, for the culture or the world around you to, to consider yourself, that you were a man. So for me as a man... Like I had to know how to do a bunch of things. I had to know how to, to you know change my oil or chop wood or make a fire or fix something that was broken with my bare hands. You know, like that was like the manly thing to do. But today, like everything's specialized. I, I don't know how to change my oil. I got a guy for that, you know? I got a guy that goes and changes my oil for me. Like that's what, how many of you guys got a guy for changing your oil? Like that's just what we do. Like if my electricity breaks, you know? Most of the time, I got a guy for that. You know, I've got you've got a guy for that. You've got a or a lady for that. You've got someone that you pick up the phone and call, and then they come and do that for you. I no longer do a lot of stuff. Well, actually, I do. I like doing it because I'm cheap. But I, I, you know, a lot of people in our culture today, they no longer do a lot of stuff. They get someone else to do it for them. And sadly, in the church today, in many churches, we take the same approach. To evangelism, There's a, this is a specialized thing, and really, I don't really want to do it. But I got a guy for that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna expect my pastor to do it, or I'm gonna expect the, the, the Sunday school teacher to do it, or I'm gonna expect the missionary to do it. And here's the thing: we, we, we want missionaries. We need pastors. We need these things. But the command of Jesus for His disciples and for all of us is that we all should go. That we all should be ready to give an answer. We all should engage our culture. Listen, my job as your pastor, and I've talked about this a lot, but in the past, my, my job as your pastor is, is not to be doing all these things, uh, and, and, and to, to be going and to be the one that's out there. Now, I have to do that as a Christian, that's my job as a Christian, but that's not my job as the pastor. My pastor, pastoral job is this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, and he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, which is a pastor, and teachers to equip the saints for the work ministry for building up the body of christ so my job in this context not my job as a christian because that's my job my job as a christian is to go but my job in the context of being your pastor is to equip you so that you can go out and make disciples you see how that works you see how that works and so we 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 have all have this command that we must Go. We can't specialize it out. We can't farm it out. We can't call a guy to do it for us. Jesus tells us that we all have to go and make disciples. So we see this command to go underemphasized in the church today. We think, well, let's get someone else to do it. But go is also overemphasized when we look at how missions can only happen with a plane ticket. Some people think that. Well, when I go on a mission trip, when I say a mission trip, most of the time, most of us think, I gotta get a passport, right? When I say let's go on a mission trip, what do we think? I gotta get a passport. It's so the first thing we think. Yeah, I've gotta go somewhere, I've gotta go far off. And so this idea of go is overemphasized by some people in our own minds. Years ago, Liz and I were leaving a trip in Honduras, we actually had to get a passport. We were leaving a trip in Honduras, and what happened was, is that uh, there was a translator there. Her name was Kinzie. Some of you guys have heard me tell Kinsey's story before. Kinsey uh, was a, she was majoring in social work. She was a college student, she was about to graduate, and she was wanting to go to Africa to work with poor and underserved people uh, in Africa, because that's where they were. But what she didn't realize is that in her own city, The poorest uh, uh, community in the Western Hemisphere was in her own city. There was a, a part of our town where it was called the Bordeaux, and in that part of town, people made, uh, there were tons of people living in poverty, uh, food scarcity, a lot of health issues. Uh, people lived in one room, uh, shacks made out of construction scraps that they just found, uh, with many times there was uh, dirt floors with six or seven people living there. And, and I remember at the very end of our trip, She was telling us this story about how she wanted to go to Africa to help with orphanages and things like that. And I asked her how many times she had seen the orphanage that we visited in her own town. She said, I didn't even know these existed before we got here. So many times we think, well, I've got to go really far off to meet people that have the needs. Of the gospel. I have to go really far off. I have to go, I gotta get a plane ticket, I gotta get a passport, I gotta go far away to find people that need the gospel, that need Jesus, that need a message of hope and love and forgiveness. We gotta go far off for that, but what we need to realize is that those people exist in our own backyards, in our own neighborhoods. In the schools where your kids go, in in, in the the communities that are around you, there are people that need the hope of the gospel. And um, she said that, that, that Kinsey said that God had used our time together to open the eyes to the, the needs of our own community. May God open our eyes to the needs of our own. Sometimes we think we have to sell everything that we have and, and go across the world and do something big and make this huge statement of faith. And here's the thing, God might call you to do that. Again, we have to be obedient to the last thing that he told us to do. So if God tells you, sell everything you have, move across the world, and go go uh, reach people for him, by all means do that. But for sometimes, we just need to see that there's people that live right across the street from us that need a savior. So to make disciples of all nations, sometimes that does require us to leave our homeland. But Jesus' main focus remains on the task of all believers simply duplicating themselves wherever they are. Wherever they are. Wherever you find your feet. A translation of this passage. Go and make disciples in Matthew 28. A translation of this passage can be thought and be heard this. In your going, or as you go, make disciples. As you go to work, make disciples. As you go to school, make disciples. As you as you go to the gym, make disciples. As you go take your kids in the car line, make disciples. As you go, make disciples. As you're going about your life, make disciples. Wherever you find your feet. Make disciples. If that's in a foreign country or if that's on your front sidewalk, make disciples. But some of us may say, am I supposed to be doing this? Yes. Yes. Jesus commands for all of us to go. How in the world am I supposed to do that? What am I supposed to say? I mean, you got get all this fear of, like, like why? why am I supposed to be going? I don't even know what to say. I feel unqualified. How many of you guys have ever felt unqualified? I feel unqualified. I'm a pastor. I can tell you, I feel unqualified. The book of Exodus, it opens, and if you got your Bibles, go ahead and flip to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to end up in this, this Exodus 3 and 4, uh, those couple pages of your Bible. We're going to end there. The book of Exodus opens up with God hearing the cries of a broken and lost people. Of a people who are under uh, in, uh, the slavery of the Hebrew people. They've been enslaved by Egypt. They were oppressed without hope. And this picture of this people that we see is a picture of us in our sin. We were slaves to sin. Had sin had control of our lives. Sin shaped how we thought and how we saw the world. And, and in the same way, we, we, we were just enslaved to it. It was changed. We couldn't get out of it. And so for, for many of us, like that's, that's the picture of what it's like to be lost. It's the picture of what it's like to, to be away from God or apart from God. And so for many of us, like when we read this passage about the Hebrews who are uh, who are enslaved to sin and God hearing their cries and setting them free. When we read this, we need to like kind of translate it in our mind that really what, that's my neighbor or, or the person across the street or the kid that's uh, the, the lady that my kid goes to school with. She's in sin, too. She's in slavery, too. And so God hears the cry of the, the Israelites who were enslaved by the Egyptians. He hears their cry and he comes to a man named Moses who was in exile at this time. Moses was a Hebrew kid when he was a little baby. The Pharaoh, uh, the, the, the leader of Egypt, he decided that he, he wanted to, that the Hebrews were getting too powerful. That there were too many of them. And so what he decided to do is he was gonna kill off all the, the, the young generation of them. So he decided that any Hebrew child that was under a certain age that he was just gonna, they were just gonna kill. Him. So they decided that they were gonna murder him. And Moses' mom actually put him in a basket and floated him down the river to try to save his life. And Pharaoh's daughter herself, the king's daughter, found him in this basket. And he was raised in the house of the king, but he was a Hebrew king. And as he grew up, he, he saw the, the, how people, how his people were treated. He knew that he was a Hebrew deep down. He saw that. And, and what happened was, is these Egyptians were beating a Hebrew in the middle of the street. And Moses came and he attacked them and he killed the Egyptians. And after he did that, he had to go into hiding. And when he was in hiding, he was in the desert alone for 40 years. And as he was alone for 40 years, God comes to him because he heard the cries of his people. And he tossed to him through a burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. This bush was burning, but it wasn't consumed. And this is what happened. This is the story. This is the conversation between Moses and God. And some of us, I would say, before we even start here, some of us think when we hear stories about Moses and Abraham and, and Joseph and all these heroes of the faith, all these people who were like, man, those guys were incredible. They actually were incredible. But when we read the stories about them, we can realize that there are a lot of things that are in us that are in them too. There are a lot of struggles that we have. There are a lot of things, insecurities, and things that that we have that they had too. And so let's read what what Exodus 3 says. Then the Lord said to Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of, the, out of that land into a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. I, and now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, this is God saying this, and I have seen the oppression for which the Egyptians have oppressed them. Come, I will send you, Moses, to Pharaoh as the king, and that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So we see this, and we see this, this story, and He's giving Moses like this incredible task of delivering His people out of slavery, bringing them from darkness into light. And when God himself speaks to Moses, he tells him how he's going to be used to deliver this people. And he felt the same way that many of us do when Jesus tells us to go. Moses immediately had fear, and so he asked God several questions. And I want to look at those questions today. The first thing he asked God is this. Who am I? Who am I? And you may be asking God this today. You may be asking God, well, who, who am I to even do this today? And that's what Moses asked, asked God in uh, Exodus 3, verse 11. He says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? God, why me? I'm sure that there's someone else that's more qualified, that has more giftings, that has more uh, that's holier than I am, that that doesn't have the mistakes, that doesn't have the past that I do, that doesn't that doesn't have the issues that I have, or the struggles that I have, or the finances that I have. Uh, there's somebody else that's more qualified to do this than me. Who am I that you would pick? Me. Many of us don't feel qualified or even able to serve God based on what we know about ourselves. You know yourself and you're like, man, I'm not qualified. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. but, But here's the thing. We forget that God is the one who qualifies us and equips us for the mission that he asks us us to do. If God's going to ask you to do something, he's going to qualify you for it. And the command that he gives all of us is to go and make disciples. And so God is going to qualify and equip you to do that. God replies to Moses when Moses asks, who am I? Why why are you you talking to me right now, God? God replies to him in in verse 12, but I will be with you Moses, don't worry about your insufficiencies. Don't worry about your insecurities because God is all sufficient. Jesus says this in Matthew 28 20, right after he gives us the command to go. He says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He is with us. When you go and you make disciples, you're not going alone. The first step in doing anything great for God is to allow Him to define you. Stop defining yourself by your past. Stop defining yourself by your sins. Stop defining yourself by your circumstances. Allow God to define you. The first step in doing anything great for God is to allow Him to define you. So Moses said, who am I? The second question to yes Okay, so you told me that you're going to be with me, that I shouldn't worry about it. Well, who are you? So come, Moses asked God, who, who are you? In verse 13, he says, then Moses asked God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, they will ask me, oh, what's his name? What shall I say to them? In verse 14, God says to Moses, I am who I am. This means that God has, is not caused by or dependent upon anything else. God is and he will always be. What God is saying to Moses is, Moses, I am all that you need, because I don't need anything, and I am with you. When we understand that God who supplies everything, that God who sustains everything, that God who set the world and the universe into motion, when we understand that he is the one who is with us, he is the one who sustains us, and when we talk about missions, He's not telling us to do our own thing. In fact, we're doing his thing. We're participating in his thing. We're not. He's not saying, um, you know, Judas, go do your own thing and, and try to reach people. For him. No, he's saying, this is my thing, and I want you to be a part of it. This is my thing, and I want you to be a part of it. And so, God, who is who He is, He, I am who I am, is what He names Himself. Is what He calls Himself. He invites Moses to participate in His thing. So when we're talking about sharing our faith, when we're talking about witnessing, when we're talking about telling other people about Jesus, you're not doing that on your own. You're, in fact, you're doing God's thing with him. And so all of his power, all of his his ability, all of his his strength is there with you to support you and be with you. The last thing Moses asks is this. He says, "Who, who am I? Who are you? And then he says this. What if they don't believe me? What if they don't believe me? You ever thought about that when you're, when you're thinking about you know I gotta I wanna share my faith with someone. I, I mean I, I wanna talk to someone about Jesus. I wanna talk about what Jesus has done for me. But what if they don't believe me? We live in this culture now that has like this really fluid definition of what truth is, where no one believes anything anymore. So what if, what if they don't believe me? And that was a question, and if you flip over to chapter 4, Moses, had, Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord didn't me You you know, you say you believe in God, and that, God, that you serve God, and that God is with you, and God's delivered you, but, but I, don't, I don't believe that. What if, what if they have that response? Okay, I understand who you are, and I understand who I am, But they're just going to reject what I I think. And this is what God said in Exodus uh, 4, chapter 2, Exodus 4, 4 verse 2. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. When he threw it on the ground, it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. You can picture this. Like, this is the thing. Moses, he was a shepherd. He was on the backside of the desert. He was holding a staff. And God says, okay, what's that in your hand? You're worried about people not believing you? What is it that you have in your hand right now? And he says, this is a staff, God. This is a normal stick that I carry around, that I've been carrying around for years. This is my stick. This is just kind of my thing. It's like all my photos, I have the stick in it, you know? Like, this is what I have, right? And God says, whatever's in your hand, just you throw it on the ground. And he does it. And all of a sudden, thing becomes a snake. Crazy, right? And and, and Moses ran away from it, but God said to Moses, put your hand, put out your hand, and catch it by the tail. And so when he, he put out his hand and he caught it, it became a staff again in his hand. That they may believe the Lord, that the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. When asked, what if they don't believe in me? God responded to Moses, What is it that you have in your hand? What is it that you have in your hand? What have I already done for you? What have I already changed in you? What have I already delivered you from? Use that when you're talking to people about Jesus. Use that. People can't argue with what God has done in your life. You know what? I used to be depressed, but now I'm not. I used to have a bad temper, but now I'm not. I used to be guilt ridden all the time, but now I'm not. I used to have a, my marriage was on the rocks, but now it's not. I used to have struggles with with the way that with depression and the way that my thought life was, but now it's not. See, when you have things in your hand right now that you can use when people say, "Well, I'm not sure that God did talk to you." No, I know God did because I'm delivered from that. God's already delivered me. The most effective sermon that a person can give is their testimony. The most effective thing that you can use to talk to people about Jesus, to talk to people about that, is your testimony. You can learn all the theology that you that you want and have memorized all these Bible verses and read all these books and study and all the stuff. And you know what? You should do that. That's probably a good thing for us to do. You, you guys know me. You guys know I like that. But none of it is more effective than that old refrain that we used to sing. I once was lost, but now I'm found I was blind, but now I see. This is my Story, and so God tells Moses, "Use what you have in your hand. Talk about what God has done for you. God healed my marriage. He didn't. I didn't think I could trust anyone anymore. But God, but God healed my heart somewhere. I could. I. I kept making the same mistakes over and over again. But God set me free of that sin. I was wrecked with guilt and shame. But God lifted that from me, and He set me free of that." There's always a reason why you will feel unqualified to go. You need to know that. There's always a reason why you will feel unqualified to go. There's always going to be a reason why it's not a good time. There's always going to. You guys are procrastinator, I'm procrastinator, right? Procrastinator. You know why? Why? Um, why do today what you can put on for tomorrow? Like, that's the procrastination motto, you know? Like, there's always going to be something that comes up where, like, that I, I, I can do this tomorrow. I can get this done tomorrow. Like, today's not a good day. I don't feel good. I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. You know, I my shoes untied. I really don't want to talk to them about Jesus right now. You know, like, there's all kinds of things that can happen inside of us where we're like, just there's a reason, there's a reason, there's a reason. But what we, understand, what we need to understand is that those things are being fed to us by an enemy who doesn't want us to accomplish the will that God has for our lives. The enemy is great at identifying those things in us and magnifying them to us, the reasons why we feel unqualified to go, but again, we don't qualify ourselves, God qualifies us. When we realize that God has called us to go, this is a command of God, this is what God Told us to do. He didn't tell us to go, you know, create a little community where we don't talk to anybody else. No, he told us to make disciples. He told us to get out, to like do our thing, to to witness, to share our faith. God calls us to do this. And when God calls us to do this, whoever God calls, he qualifies. Whoever God calls, he resources. You might think, well, I don't know what to say. So I believe that in the moment that God puts you in that situation that the spirit of God is a gift to you as a Christian, and that he can give you supernaturally what to say in that situation. He can, give you, now he can give you resources that you don't have. That's the whole point of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's resources, it's gifts that we don't naturally possess that we can use to share our faith. God qualifies Resources. The other thing that you see when you read the verse or the, the story of Moses is that God was always one step ahead. Of God was always one step ahead. Of there were times when you read the story where you're like, okay, it seems like Moses is a little bit in over his head right now, but then immediately God took care of him. Immediately God, God, God just he did the thing and he, he delivered and he, he delivered time and time and time again. God always goes before us. So he qualifies us. So you right now, as you are today, you are qualified to share your faith. Pastor, I'm telling you, you're qualified to share your faith right now. You can do it. You have the resources through the Spirit of God living inside of you. Right now, you can do it. And God, you need to trust him that he is gone before you. He will lead you into conversations. He will lead you to people who need the light of the gospel that you have inside of you so that they, they can uh, experience the power of God. Matthew chapter 5, the Bible talks about this and I'll end up with this today. Talks about how we're a, a, a city on a hill that we shouldn't hide our light. But the the last thing that you would do if, if you needed a, a light in your house, right, is I wouldn't light a candle. Imagine they just have power back then, right? Now, right? I wouldn't light a candle and just kind of put a basket over it. Who wouldn't do that? Why would you do that? Like, who who does that? I wouldn't light a candle and just put a basket over it? Because so then it defeats the purpose of even having the candle there. Like why not just don't light the candle? But that's what Jesus, that's the analogy that Jesus uses for, for people yeah. who follow him, who love him, but don't share their faith. It's like lightning. I can't just pass You are the light of the world. You are the... light. Jesus who's alive inside of you. Jesus who's transformed you. Jesus who's delivered you. Jesus who's gone. You are the light. And there are people that you're going to come across this with this week. Who's gonna cross your path? Who's gonna? Who's gonna? You're, you're, for some reason, they're gonna start talking to you. I don't know if you guys have ever had this happen to you before, but all of a sudden, like this person just starts like bearing their soul to you, and you're just like, "Whoa, okay, well, let me let me like recalibrate my mind." Yeah, you know? like <laughs> let me minister right now, you know. And I was I wasn't ready for that, but all of a sudden they do. I found myself in that situation a couple weeks ago. When I was in San Antonio. This lady just starts to talking to me, you know, and she's, she's saying all the stuff that she's struggling with and going through. And all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, well, I I need to kind of approach this from a different mindset. I believe that you're going to be, God is going to bring people into your path. If all you do is say, this is all you need to do. You might be thinking, well, man, I got to, you know, it's like me right now. I I was thinking the other day, I was like, I'm going to go home and tell this. I want to, like, one year from now, I want to run a marathon. That's what I want to do. I was sitting in that kind of mood. Let's get it, you know. Here's the thing. I'm not, I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm not in shape at all. Like, at all. Like, I would, like, run a marathon. Like, I wouldn't get to the corner. Like, and much less do the 26 mile. Just wouldn't happen, right? And most of us, when we talk about sharing our faith, like, that's what we think. We're like, dude, that is a marathon. And I'm not, like, I am not in shape to do that. But I'm telling you, that if you commit, and all you have to do, all you have to do, Save that. That's all you have. Yes, I'll be a part of your mission. Yes, I want to make disciples. Be. Yes, I will share my faith. And I promise you that God will equip you, He will lead you, He will direct you, He will bring you on your path. all of you, you, you. you, you think at that point, you're just following the steps of the man.